Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And now a word from our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. What is going on, beautiful people? Alex Schoen coming at you, and on new episode of the Believe in the Garden State podcast. I am solo dolo today. Um, Ryan is not in. We will look forward to seeing him next week. Um, <laughs> you think I would really do that to you? Come on. Uh, we do have a two-man team for today. Let me introduce our recurring guest host, who you all have known to love. He's a former captain at Rutgers University, future U.S. citizen, Ladies and gentlemen, from north of the border, Austin DeVitkos. <laughs> Thanks for the intro, buddy. Uh, I don't know about U.S. citizen. We'll get working on that in a couple of years. I am Canadian for all the viewers. Happy to be back for my fourth appearance. I'm the honorary guest here on the pod, but uh, like always, I'm fired up. Yeah, dude, you're one of our lacrosse insiders, man. <laughs> Official title, Lax Analyst. Lax Analyst. <laughs> What's, What's the, up, with... Quint? Where are you at? <laughs> uh, yeah, man. But listen, great to see you. Let's um, let's get right into it, dude. What was um, what was your impressions of the uh, the games this weekend, uh, particularly uh, Rutgers UNC? Um, phenomenal weekend for the most part. All right, let's start with just a generic theme across all the games aside from the Virginia game, which was an absolute blowout. Every other game was one goal. Um, Phenomenal lacrosse, especially, you know, COVID weekend, you're sitting at home, you don't have much to do. You're watching the games and you get exposure to the NCAA division one circuit. So definitely phenomenal. Now, particularly to Rutgers, this is the first full game I got to watch this year because being Canadian, you don't get ESPN. Um, so one of my buddies who lives in Toronto sent me, um, <laughs> a bootleg link. I got access to it, watched the entire game. Let me tell you, start to finish. Oh, it was a barn burner. Great game to watch. Heartbreaking at the end. Um, we can get into the nit- nitty uh, gritty, but, uh, what were your initial impressions, man? I know you were at the game with all the boys. Well, first of all, it was a phenomenal experience just being at the game and, um, I know we were kind of supposed to be in like our own little pods, but it was a free for all. We were the boys were <laughs> the boys were all over it, um, bringing some good energy. The Rutgers fans were 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 awesome, and we definitely outnumbered the Carolina fans in terms of energy and uh, numbers. So it was uh, it was uh, it was a great experience. Number one, uh, number two, it was a heartbreaker that we lost, but. Um, I think that I came out of that game thinking Rutgers was the better team. And sometimes the better team doesn't always win the game. Uh, the team that makes more plays is going to win the game. And the team that makes those plays in important situations is also going to win the game. And uh, hats off to Carolina. They made the plays when they needed to, uh, especially in the middle of the field with their 10 man ride. Um, now what I didn't understand was, and we talked about this like last week on the show, I didn't understand why everyone thought Carolina was going to absolutely blow the doors off Rutgers. Like if you like if you watch the film and you follow both these teams all year long, 
like you knew this was going to be a close game. So uh, for people who like, oh, Rutgers gave Carolina like everything they could handle, like, like, yeah, but there's also like the view where it's like Rutgers was better than Carolina. Like they dude in the six on six Rutgers was the better team. Uh, Carolina just made more plays in those uneven situations, which we thought Rutgers was going to make was, which we thought Rutgers was going to make. Um, but that 10 man ride, man, it, we, we said it was going to be key to the game. Uh, I thought Rutgers was going to not have as hard a time as they did. Uh, they, they were 10 of 10 in the first half clearing the ball. Um, and the stats are going to be a little misleading when it comes to clearing in the second half that says we only failed three, although they were very th- three, very important clears. I think we failed a little bit more than three clears because we turned the ball over across the midfield line. And when you get the ball across the midfield line, it counts as a clear. Yes. Great point on that. And I know you had mentioned that before of like, Oh, everybody thinks UNC's, you know, it's going to be a shoe in game. UNC is going to dummy them. Uh, absolutely not. And for anybody who's listening right now, and you've been proactively listening to this podcast. If you go back to the lab, last one with Chad Tolver, and we talk about this game, uh, a lot of things came to fruition, um, particularly on the UNC side, who was playing and who wasn't. Connor McCarthy comes in, didn't play first round game against Monmouth. He drops two against us, gets the OT winner. He used to play at uh, Princeton. And then Tanner Cook didn't play except for two shifts. And he played on man up and got absolutely stuffed on the crease by Kirst. Um And then on our side of things, like just we matched up really well with them defensively. You know, we were winning our matchups consistently, but where the game ended up, you know, turning over, like you said, was in the, in the riding and clearing and in this big key moments. So, I mean, I coach a youth lacrosse team up here and, and I break down film every week. As soon as that game was done, I broke down the film immediately and the first four, four clips that I chose were the fail clears. And like you said, whether it's crossing half or not. Um, and, and one of my keynotes that I wrote was when you face the best and my metric of best for this would be UNC was ranked number one, right? Your margin of error is so small that on every mistake you make, the other team will capitalize on. And that's what the best teams do. Um, I, do I think we were better than them? Yes. But when it came down to those dire moments, like they're so minuscule. There's so, but on the bright side, there's so many positives to take away from it. Good learning experience for everyone. I'm extremely proud of the program, but absolute heartbreaker. Yeah, dude, I was so gutted. We were all so gutted, man. I literally, we literally went back to Peters' house, Chris Peters, Rutgers Lacrosse, class of 2017. Went back to his house and we just ate ice cream and pizza, really depressing, like <laughs> depressingly. Like we were just like, wow. Like it almost felt like we lost the game. Like, Cause you just like, you're just, you feel so a part of it. You know what I mean? And just like, it would have been one thing. And just to add to that, it's like when you add the COVID protocols, like big 10 testing every single day, and these guys are getting something shoved up their nose six days a week, like just the sacrifice. I mean, in a normal season, you sacrifice a lot, but this season they just sacrificed so much more because think about it. Like they got tested every single day. And they couldn't go out as much because if they went out, like they, someone could have got COVID and you know, it, you can only, it's really hard to just be pent up in your apartment or in your house or whatever and not get that urge. So kudos to these guys for, for making that sacrifice. Cause 
I don't know, man. I don't know if we could have done the same thing. <laughs> like, yeah, they, they, they sacrificed a lot. Everything came to fruition. If you look at the grand scheme of the entire year, like you couldn't be prouder as an alum. They got it done. They made the NCAA tournament. They beat Lehigh in the first round. Haven't done that since what? Nine, 1990, right? Yep. 1990. And then they come out and they're toe to toe in a boxing match against UNC. So, I mean, outstanding job by the team in the season. I want to give us a, a couple special shout outs here. Obviously my Canadian bias plays a huge role, but AC man, if you're hearing this dude, I love you. Like I was texting the, the 2018 alums in the chat saying, can you please give him a hug for me? I would have been at that game, but we can't cross the border. And I know your family hasn't been at any game, dude. So uh, I know Deb and everybody else really loves you, man. And then just trickling down the line, guys like Kieran, like phenomenal job. I remember when you were a freshman, um, the Curse Brothers, like you, you two are, are something extremely special. And I can go through one by one, um, you know, just like phenomenal job this year. And big ups to the coaching staff, man. Like we always praise Jimmy and Brecht. Saraman has been on the staff for, I think, three years now. And then Dolan, the new volunteer. And then trickle down the line like Wally and Chris. And then Yuli, our boy Yuli. <laughs> Frank, Frank, big Frank. Big Frank. So, um, thank you. You guys made this year so exciting. Fuck. Oh, shout out to Risa. <laughs> Just get the whole roster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, man, it takes a village to, to be, have a successful program or organization, you know, not just in college sports, but in, you know, anywhere. Oh yeah. I mean, definitely like all, everything that goes on in the back end and, um, more on the humorous side of the game. It's just like, I'm watching on T on TV, whatever my stream. And I'm seeing you, I'm seeing Traz, Bronzo, Binks, <laughs> all the guys in the stands, absolutely. Rowdy. I'm just like, yo, God damn. Um, I would have loved to be there, but I knew you guys are rocking the house, man. The boys were thriving. <laughs> yeah, we were so rowdy. It was awesome. <laughs> Yo, I, I didn't even like I didn't even realize like the camera angles for ESPN. Like we didn't even know we were being recorded, and it looks like we're staring at the camera, like on oh, the on the pictures. Buddy, that camera was staring directly at you a couple times, and you guys were like pointing at it, flexing muscles. But I, what's even what got me really fired up and you tell me if i'm wrong on this when ac dropped a couple goals was he pointing at you guys he was staring at us um i, I mean I, I you'd have to ask him it it seemed like he was coming he was looking at us yeah and we went insane um and he did like the his little celly and it was pretty awesome especially when he did the backhander oh my god yo we erupted <laughs> we absolutely erupted yeah man so yeah, his sellies were on point that day, but I knew he was going to have a day because when Kieran drew it, um, it was in the first quarter, Kieran drew two, he's pushing away, gets his hands free, throws a skip to AC. AC is now guarded by Will Bowen, one of the best defensemen in the country. Little like rocker step turns. Like I, I don't know if he went bar D, but he went top right and absolutely stung. And I was like, this guy's on today. He wants it. And it got everybody fired up. So, damn. <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, he was killing it. And uh, one guy who I think kept us in the game, um, we we said faceoffs was going to be a key. Jonathan oh, yeah. DeHenio. How about John DeHenio showing uh, a little bit of what he can be potentially going forward for RU? Going, uh, 
I believe he was 15 of 27. Yeah, phenomenal, man. He's an absolute workhorse. You know, even if it's a he loses the initial clamp and there's a 50-50 GB, he is hustling for that all day long. Um, special teams played a huge role. I mean, specialty positions played a huge role with him as well as like, um, what's the goalie's first name? Colin. Blankhurst. Colin. Colin. Phenomenal, man. You, you made us so proud this year, buddy. Holy patience in that. Always shot ready. Dialed in. Dude, he also had some sick outlet passes. He had this one outlet pass, the bullet, that like it looked like, you know, it looked like a, a quarterback throwing a slant route, like over the top. The, the only thing is this guy throws um he throws like lobs because I think his bag is extremely big that he uses for his pocket, but they're pretty money for the most part. Yo, you gotta ask him when he comes on the show, dude. <laughs> Get ready for that episode. That's gonna be a good time. Yeah, I also I want to ask him about his two doorstep saves on Tanner Cook because my buddy texted me saying, oh, Tanner Cook's not playing. They should put him on the crease for man up. Verbatim said that. And then all of a sudden, two doorstep and just two phenomenal saves. So, damn. Yeah, so, I mean, what uh, what other game? What other games uh, impressed you besides oh. Georgetown and Virginia? <laughs> so I, I didn't – I watched the full Virginia-Georgetown game um, I mean, Virginia is phenomenal in my opinion. Georgetown had a really good year as well, but I didn't, I saw some clips on the Duke Loyola. Loyola gave them everything that they had. I thought they were going to come away, but I was so impressed with the Notre Dame Maryland game. Um, I didn't catch the game till about the end of the third and the fourth quarter. Once again, texting my friend, I think Maryland's down by three. And I was like, watch how this pans out. Maryland has, is clutch. Um, I do support Big Town Lacrosse. I was tired of everybody hyping up the ACC and other conferences and, and just kicking us to the curb. And I'm so happy that Maryland came away with it. Um, we still sorry, hate any them, Maryland though. haters. Yeah, <laughs> we still hate them though. Don't, don't don't think that we like you, Maryland. We we don't like you. We don't like you. I think that I think <laughs> we respect that, you though. We respect you though. We respect you. We do respect you. We haven't we haven't beaten them yet. And I think what was so impressive about that game is that. Um, they were kind of like sharks in water and smelt the blood. Notre Dame got tired and Maryland just got up and out and made plays happen. And it was just impressive to watch that fourth quarter. So I really hope they come away and do some damage just because they're a big 10 program. What about you, man? You're watching that game and let's give Bobby Russo a lot of credit for shutting down Chris Gray. Um, but after watching those two games, yep. is there any doubt that Jared Bernhardt is the best player in division one lacrosse? Absolutely. No way. No, no, no shot. He is the best player right now um, running for the Tawarton, in my opinion, extremely athletic on another level this year. I remember when he was younger and uh, we were still around and we're like, hey, he's really good. He's just on another level this year. Like he just put up five goals against Notre Dame. He's creating separation off of his step, second step, turning the corner and goal. So uh, who did they play this upcoming weekend? Is it Duke? Yeah, Duke. Uh, I I got my money on uh, Maryland. I think Duke's off-ball defense is going to suffer because they're going to be so um, so contained. What do we do with Bernhard? And I know D Duke's off-ball defense hasn't been that great lately, so it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. Now, I've watched quite a bit of Maryland this year. Um, I haven't watched every single game, like every single like detail, but I don't think I've seen anyone shut him off yet. Why do you think no one has done that? And, and maybe they have, but I, I, I haven't seen it for foot speed. I don't think anybody can match with them. So it doesn't even matter. 
it doesn't even matter. Like if you watch the Notre Dame clip, like if there's a short stick shutoff for like a quick second, he just get in and out, create separation and go in and there'd be an early slide. But you have to also think about the five players that play around him. Maryland is extremely sound. They have um, Wisnowskis around him. They have DeMeo coming out of the midfield. They have Bubba Fairman and Kyle Long, Dylan Maltz. Their starting six is phenomenal, and they complement each other really well. Well, Danny Maltz, Danny Maltz. Danny Maltz, Danny Maltz. Dylan's his brother who we played again, so I actually was with at Syracuse uh, when we were freshmen. Also very good off-ball player, high IQ. Oh, super. Oh, oh my God. People, people would like, it's funny. It's so funny. Like people would, uh, people used to disrespect him so much by putting a short stick on him and he would always like go off. (laughs) He would always go off. And I just like those guys, I was texting him the other day. Um, actually I was like, dude, you taught your brother. Well, he's like, thanks brother. And I'm like, I still hate Maryland. (laughs) I mean, love them or hate them you got to respect them that's my opinion and the one thing that i do applaud them based on my experience playing is they didn't really chirp much i don't know if they when you're around if they're chirping hooting and hollering they kind of did their thing um you gotta ask ac i remember uh oh yeah never mind i take that back (laughs) you remember you remember that time you remember that time someone was chirping him and he went off oh yeah it was like at the end of the, the first half, we're, we're running back to the locker room and AC's chirping. This is when he he was injured that year, and I was right beside him. I was like, man, if you're going, I'm going. <laughs> but nothing came of it. But I, I got to ask him that story. We got to have him on the show. Oh, yeah. I was Showing talking to him about it. At some, uh, during the season, I was talking about it. But then, like, as they started, like, getting on a little bit of a roll, I kind of didn't want to interrupt that. Yeah, let, let, let his voodoo keep rolling. But um, – who do you think's winning it this year, bud? Dude, or this? I, let's start with this. I mean, this is the final weekend, so what do you think? I, I think it's going to be Maryland, Maryland, and Virginia. And yep. I'm saying that because when you look at these two teams, it's like they match up extremely well versus their opponent. You look at Virginia; they beat UNC one of the two times in the second game, and their coaching staffs, uh, both these Maryland and um, Virginia, are like the ultimate adjusters, right? And you could argue Duke as well. Um, But in terms of in-game, like Maryland and Virginia and from game to game. And yeah, people say Duke, like traditionally they finish the season strong, but I feel like that's more of a developmental aspect in terms of like getting their players better and more comfortable in their schemes. I look at Maryland as just like, like we've compared them to New England um, in terms of just taking away what you do best. And I look at Maryland and Virginia in the same light, having a chance to dissect the Virginia program a little bit. And you look at Virginia, they had three weeks off. Um, Lars Tiffany uh, went on record saying that he talked to the football coach about how he handles bowl prep. And that's a long time. I've been through bowl practices like those. That's tough. Like that is a, it's like a mini training camp. And if you handle it properly, uh, you can really come out on the other side a lot better. Virginia looks like a completely different team since their loss to Syracuse. So I look at those two teams, and I think I got to give it to Maryland if they're playing Virginia. I got to give it to them because I feel like last time they played, and obviously last year has nothing. Excuse me, two years ago has nothing to do with this year, but last time they played Virginia, kind of got a little lucky. So I think Maryland's gonna, if they're playing Virginia, I think Maryland's going to remember that and leave no doubt. And so, dude, I hate to say it, but Maryland's going to go undefeated. 
Was it was it that that uh, controversial crossbar goal from two years ago when they was at Hofstra? Yeah, it was like uh, it hit the it hit the post and it was called the goal. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. I think the exact same thing as you. Um, I don't know who's going to win the Maryland Virginia game, and the only if it gets to that, um, the only reason why I say that is because if I look at Virginia's polls right now. Kevin Warren, the Georgetown coach, called like a bunch of velociraptors as in Jurassic Park. Um, Cole, one of the polls for Virginia's 6 7. He's from Menlo Park area. We'll have to fact check that. Uh, Menlo Park, New Jersey? No, no. Menlo, no, California. I was about to say. Yeah. And then who's Kyle Cologne? Uh, Kaloji, he's from Chatham, uh, Chatham, New Jersey. Uh, you're thinking, and Jared Connors, he's the he's the LSM, and there's one more poll who's I, Cade Sawstad. So a lot of these guys, I think all of them are over like six one six two. So they're gonna match up really well with the Maryland offense, but that'll be a super exciting game if it gets to that, and I really hope it does. But if anybody can match up with Bernhardt, would it be this weekend with uh, JT Giles Harris? I, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, th- I don't think so. Cause I don't think anybody can match up with him, but would it be this weekend? Like the best chance for anybody to go one-on-one with him, mano y mano, you and me, let's go. I think it is the best chance, but with Bobby Benson running the offense this year and them using razor picks and up picks and like, can JT Giles Harris play really well up top too? If Bernhard brings the ball up top. So they're going to be attacking them at every single angle. My only concern with that Duke game would be, is the Duke offense humming? Is the Maryland's defense that good? Well, as you, I mean, I think they are that good. And as you know, I mean, they have our former defensive coordinator running the show for them. Who's really, really smart. So he'll figure it out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but you got Michael Sowers, you got Brennan O'Neill, Nakai Montgomery, like, but dude, you look at Duke and they're, they're just like, like, like when you look like you, I think, you know, is this, is this a hot take? I think Sowers was better at Princeton than he was than, that last year, granted, against better, <laughs> against worse competition besides Virginia when they played Virginia. I think Sowers was better last year than he is this year. And uh, I don't know if that's because he just had less pieces around him so that everyone like had to revolve around him and he doesn't like the. The offense certainly revolves around Sowers, but like there's there's more mouths to feed. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's definitely multivariable. But like you said, like all the pieces around him, how much is he actually holding the ball? Something that I did notice early on in the season with Duke is they had Sowers. <clears throat> sorry, let's backtrack. Last year at Princeton, Jim Mitchell, who was our offensive coordinator, went down to Princeton. And they would use a lot of pick play, but then they started using Sowers and dodging him from up top. Whereas when he went to Duke, it was a lot of from behind. And I would say about a couple of games in, they're like, okay, let's get him the ball. Let's get him a dodger from up top as well. I forgot what game, like they went into OT, hit a bunch of up picks, had two goals down the alley left-handed. So it's just a matter of how they're utilizing him. Um, and I think they're growing as a staff on that. So was he better at Princeton? Subjective because it's like the talent level. He's also playing the ACC this year. And with the transfer portal, the ACC is pretty dominant. Hot take? I don't know, man. 
okay, ACC dominant, but they're better than everybody, but not by a lot in comparison to the Big Ten. And I think we saw that this weekend when Rutgers probably was the better team than North Carolina, although they didn't win. I mean, shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? We could say, like, they were the best team on the field that day is dictated by the score, which is Carolina, right? But. I mean, I yes, I agree, but I think you, you put – the ACC in an all-conference schedule, like you, you're not going to be able to tell either. Oh, 100. percent I thought the big, the Big Ten, like how the lacrosse community was consistently ragging on them, and then they were hyping up like the Patriot League. Like, look, the Patriot League's outstanding academics and lacrosse as well. However, do not neglect the Big Ten. If you had teams like Hopkins playing out of conference, Penn State, I think a lot of things would have changed. But once again, circumstances are circumstances with COVID. Should have uh, cut up. Dude, next year the Big Ten is going to go off on everybody, and it's going to be so funny. <laughs> I, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so because it was uh, – when we were playing, it was like ACC was the best, then Big Ten, Big Ten, then ACC was flip-flopping, and then the uh, Ivy League got substantially better. The whole grand scheme of college across has gotten better, but historically it's been ACC, and now with the Big Ten Conference starting in 2015, it's uh, shaking things up a little bit. So, listen, we've talked about – Rutgers, we talked about college uh, going forward. Uh, let's talk about the pro game, man. Have you uh, have you watched the pro game at all? To be completely honest, not entirely too much. Um, I did watch a little bit this past summer when they were in the bubble in Utah because it actually aired on TV in Canada. So that was the first summer I was like, okay, this is cool. Got exposed to it. But I know you're extremely into it, but I know a lot of the players as well. Yeah, dude. So there's like 20 plus New Jersey guys uh, playing in the league. Um, you know, we got the Rutgers guys. We got guys like Chris Azelanian from Westfield. Brad Smith, I believe, is from Mountain Lakes. Uh, Nick Grill and BJ Grill are from Bridgewater. We got Connor Kirsch, Rutgers in Bernardsville. Uh, Del Barton. You got Matt McMahon from Glen Ridge. You got, you know, the list goes on. Obviously, Jules, uh, Scarpello. So, Let's, uh, let's talk about some of those Jersey guys, man. Let's start with the Rutgers guys. Um, so I think uh, the number one newcomer has got to be Michael Rexro. Did you watch, did you watch Rex in the bubble last year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dominant man. He, he's been on another level. He's been persistent, wants to take the next step and play in the PLL. He was the captain of the outlaws and just doing his thing. Um, dominating his matchup. So with playing at the next level, I'm curious to see if he cracks a lineup, is he going to play up top? Is he going to play below? Like what his role would be, but there's no doubt that he's going to be ready to roll for camp. Oh dude, Michael Rexrode. He, he is. If, if he, if Michael Rexrode does not make a lineup, there is something wrong because I think he's going to be one of the top three to five, if not the best defender in the league. I mean, dude, have you seen that guy? He's gained like 20 pounds of pure muscle since we graduated college. And he was a moose back yep. in college. Big 10 defensive player of the year, two-time all Big Ten guy, two-time All-American. Like Michael Rexroad is going to be a household name this year. He's he's a, he's going to be a lockdown cover guy. And I think what's going to be really special about him is he's got his defensive coordinator from Denver, which yep. I know playing for the Outlaws really meant a lot to him. I remember talking to him, uh, you know, before the uh, MLL went out uh, about the transition. And he was like, yeah, I'm thinking about 
PLL, but like the outlaws is like, like, I love the outlaws. Like, I, I don't know what I, like, I don't know what to do. I love the guys. And uh, I think that's going to help him. And then playing with Kyle Pless and a couple other outlaws guys, I believe are on the team um, is going to yep. help. And I think that continuity is going to help Rex road be a great off ball player. In addition to his awesome, uh, in, in addition to his awesome skills as a lockdown cover guy, obviously he's a better lockdown cover guy than he is off ball player, but he's still, he's still good off ball. Yeah. That's, I think one of his hidden gems, man. And some, I hope a lot of coaches at the pro level understand like he's very good off ball. He understands the flow of things. Historically, when you're covering the number one cover guy, like he has the ball a lot. So you're going to get pretty tired and to be communicating off ball entirely. Um, just as a testament to show how good of shape he's in. So I'm excited about him. Dude, did you see Rex guard Lyle Thompson? <laughs> yeah, there's that one clip that blew up. I think he hit him on the trail track or the over the head. So, <laughs> dude, Rex is a is a baller. He he's gonna be awesome this year. Um, and uh, so let's also uh, let's talk about um, let's talk about Christian Mazzone. Not not born in New Jersey, but his connection to New Jersey Rutgers University. Uh, what do you think of him? What do you think watching him last year? Oh, aside from the two bar syndrome, um, I think he had a really good year. I'm not trying to play the Rutgers bias card here. And I know that we've been talking about them, but it's just because we are Rutgers guys. And it's great to see a lot of the continuity at the next level. And it's a testament to how we've been doing. But um, I think he was running in the second midfield line, sprinkled in a bit of the first midfield line. I could be wrong on that aspect, but just did his role. He was nitty gritty, caught a lot of attention in the PLL and lacrosse community just because of how hard he works, picks up the garbage goals. And he's just a big team guy in general. So um, I'm always excited to see his growth and where he's come from in 2018 and onward. Just like Rex, very persistent guy. Now let's talk about a guy who's not a Rutgers guy, but is a Jersey guy because of where he went to college. He's from Texas, but he went to Monmouth University. <laughs> Bryce Wasserman, who Chad Tolliver said a lot of great things about last episode, uh, who was on his podcast, Vibe Checkers. Go check out that show. Uh, really awesome show. Uh, what do you think of Bryce coming in? It was it was um, prior to the conversation with Chad. So if you're a viewer, please go reference the podcast because he does talk about Bryce Wasserman. Um, what did I know about him? That he took a private jet to a game once. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a helicopter. A helicopter, but outside of that, the kid's got swagger, man. He's he's sleeky, or sorry, sneaky. Um, really elevated his game. Can attack you from behind. Can come out of the box as well. That's that's very key at the next level. It's like okay, if you're a traditional attackman, now you're running out of the box and you're drawing a short stick. Like you better be going to work and creating separation and drawing slides. So I think that's exactly what he can do. Um, just that swagger mentality that he has, he should make an impact. All right. Now let's go, let's go to somebody who is not a Rutgers guy or a Jersey college guy, but is a Jersey guy. Let's see how, how good your lacrosse knowledge is. <laughs> um, I want to stump you here. Oh God. I want to stump you on somebody who you haven't seen a lot, who you haven't seen play a lot. Um, honestly, I've seen this guy play, but like not a whole lot. I know him. Um, so I might be setting us both up for failure here. I didn't watch him too much with the outlaws, but 
He was pretty damn good. Uh, Chris Aslanian from Westfield, New Jersey. Chris Aslanian, Westfield, New Jersey. From my knowledge, so I I don't have Hobart, my, Hobart College. Hobart. I think he's a big lefty attackman, and now he, he he's a was righty. Co- big righty. A big righty. More number nine for the Outlaws, right? No, that was Adler. Uh, he wore 57, I believe. 57. He was, the rookie st- of, he was the rookie of the year a couple of years ago. Okay. From my knowledge is that this kid uh, was coaching at Princeton as well. Not entirely too too sure on his game. So in a roundabout way, you, you think you stumped me here, buddy. All right. Well, I stumped myself too because I've, I've, I've watched him play. Obviously, we I played with him a little bit in high school, but I haven't really watched too much him play. So He's got a brother that I think went to um, – he played college ball too, and I think his dad's a Rutgers alum. Um, not not sure. I'll have to double check on that. He's from Westfield. I know him. He's a really nice dude, uh, and I play with him a little bit. He's got he's um he's a pretty good shooter. He gets separation. I wouldn't say he's like overly athletic, but he gets the job done. Um. All right, let's go through the list here. Uh, all right, you'll know this guy, Austin Sims. Austin Sims. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> bring back some memories from Princeton university. He's not a Jersey guy, but Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, what, what do you think of his game? Just based on my memory of him could freak athlete could create separation. The only knock that I would say on him is, was his shooting percentage. Um, he could create, he could shoot on the run. He could do step downs, but is he consistently hitting spots on the net? And I think from a matchup perspective, like, at this level, he should be able to beat shorties. Granted, the, the short sticks in this league are phenomenal. So I think he could make an impact. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Um, I know he's been in and out of the lineup. So I think when you, you know, it's going to be this camp period is probably going to be big for him to kind of, you know, just because you're going like this camp doesn't mean you're going to be on that final roster. Yes. So I think it's, he's just got to, you know, earn a spot and, you know, get hot and keep that confidence going. I mean, it's kind of tough when you're running on the same team as, you know, Tom Schreiber and, you know, <laughs> you know, my zones, you know, getting better and, and all those guys. So <laughs> it's kind of, it's a, he's in a tough spot, but I think, I think he'll, he'll be pretty good. Um, all right. Let's go through a couple more here. All right. Let's talk about, uh, let's go, let's go to Jules. Jules Hennenberg hasn't played since 2019, uh, was out of the bubble. What do you think of our boy Jules? How's he going to do? Uh, have you p- been paying attention to the Redwoods? They've, they brought in Rob Pinnell. Um, they have Ryder Garnsey, uh, Kavanaugh, and um, who's their other attackman? Their other attackman is – hold on, give me a second. Matt Kavanaugh, Jules, Ryder Garnsey, Ryan Lee from the Outlaws in RIT. Yeah, former uh, teammate. Yeah, they also have uh, Charlie Bertrand. So hmm. where, where does Jules fit in this roster? But Before we go any further, who's on the midfield? Is it um I think we got Perkovic and Miles Jones, right? Joe Walters, Tromboli, uh, Jamie Tromboli, excuse me, not Tromboli. <laughs> Sound like Stromboli. Uh Sergio Perkovic, uh Miles Jones, Kyle Harrison. Yeah. Okay, so off the bat, I'm 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 curious to see what the coaches are gonna do in training camp to see if they're gonna run him from behind, obviously with Rob Pinnell, because Rob Pinnell, <clears throat> Rob Pinnell plays behind, has really good vision. Regardless of where they play Jules, he's going to be a, <laughs> a nightmare. Like, imagine running out of the box, Sergio Perkovic, Jules Henningberg, and Miles Jones. The question is, who draws the pull? If Jules gets a short stick, see, see you later, and they take him behind, he's going to create separation. He's gotten bigger. 
I'm all in on him, man. Um, and if he draws the the pull at the midfield, I mean, the other team is going to be sliding a lot to Miles Jones and Sergio Perkovic. So it's going to be extremely interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think you you look at Jules in, uh, in 2019, towards the end of the year after he got a concussion, he was running a lot of the midfield. Um, or excuse me, he was running a lot out of the midfield. So um, I think you might see some similar stuff. Um, is he a great attackman? Absolutely. But you got a lot of mouths to feed. So it's just going to be where are you, where, where does everyone fit best? So uh, I wouldn't, you know, do I think he's going to play attack? Uh, I don't think so, but do, would he, would it surprise me if he played attack and did really well? Absolutely not. The bottom line, if you're a coach, Jules Henningberg needs to be on the field. Oh, I a hundred percent. So um, playing out the box, playing below, you're going to get the best from him. Now let's talk about the face-off game for this team. Uh, you know, going a little off topic, they have four face-off guys. Okay. I mean, you only keep, you only keep, uh, I don't know what the roster limit is, but you only keep, most teams only dress one or two guys. So I would think that that would also open up an offensive spot uh, for their final roster, right? Who are we talking here? They got TD Erlin. Okay. Charlie Leonard, Peyton Smith, and Greg Piscolzian. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you weren't in the lacrosse community, if you're not very familiar with the lacrosse community and you just look plainly on the eye test, you're going to go with TD Irwin, um, fresh out of college as well. So he's been playing. A lot of these other guys haven't played for a while. Um, it's just going to be who's battle tested, who's, who's it going to come down to, who performs in camp as well, and injuries. I mean, you have four face-off guys. Are you really going to need them all now? So. It's going to be TD Erland. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be TD Erland, bro. Yeah. That kid's legit, bro. I just I just wonder like what they're going to do just bringing four guys to camp. I guess they're just uh I don't know, they're saying they're saying, "Hey, hey guys, let's battle it out." But it, I don't see it not being TD Erland. Um it's got to be him. But let's um to finish this up, let's talk about one guy, newcomer for the Dogs. The Dogs. Christian Scarpello. Getting a shot in the league. Um, they list him as a regular midfielder, not a short stick defensive midfielder. Um, he'll be, yeah, I, I don't see him playing offense, but he's going to be a two way guy. Uh, what do you think of his game? How does it translate to the league? I mean, his style translates exactly to what you want to see in the PLL. I mean, he's one of the most talented lacrosse players I've ever played with, and he's just a gritty dude. So, I, I remember seeing on Twitter that he got picked up and I was fired up and I know he hasn't played it in a while, but it kind of meshes well with the water dog mentality, newer team kind of fuck you mentality. He's going to mesh well. Um, when you saw him last weekend, did he look like he put on some weight, like he was ready to rock? He looked like, yeah, he looked good. I wouldn't say he put on weight. I'd say he looks the same, but just better. Like yeah. Leaner. Yeah. He he's like a freak. Working hard. He's sneakily athletic and he has extremely high IQ. So I mean, he's I, a I natural it, athlete. I wouldn't say he's sneaky, <laughs> but he's a natural athlete. Sneaky in the sense that, like, if he has the ball in the offensive end and he's covered by an offensive midfielder and he's trying to run any sort of naps car transition play, his IQ can get him away with a lot of stuff and he can create separation. So I think he's got all the tools in the toolbox, man. He's slippery, too. Slippery is, is better than sneaky, in my opinion. Hey, slippery, <laughs> man. He'll just be like, he'll just be like, I'm Binky Doe. Buddy, it, it, 
all the refs in the PLL, you better keep an eye on him behind the scenes, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yo, I don't know how he's going to do in the uh, the the walk-up where they, like, walk next to each other. He's going to be like, yo, get away from me, bro. <laughs> yo, I don't want to freaking see you before the game. It's you versus me, us versus the world. Yeah, man. So, I mean, I'm excited for him to be back in the mix. It's been he hasn't played since our college days. I mean, he played out in England, but it's been a while. So Joe Nardello is going to win MVP this year? I certainly hope so. Should have won, won it last year. This year, in my opinion, is going to be very, very interesting for the PLL. And the reason why I say that is because one COVID, uh, point B of point one would be in Canada and Ontario, we've been in lockdown since almost since last March. So are these guys training? Have they had access to facilities? Like everything's been closed. So how are they going to show up to camp? Are a lot of the teams with the Canadians going to be slow starters and pick up speed a week or two in? Are there going to be injury prone? So I think it's going to heavily impact the league this upcoming summer. Well, I hope everyone stays healthy. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Oz, it's been fun uh, breaking down the games from the weekend and breaking down some of our buddies and some other Jersey guys. Um, so listen, man, can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, I'll talk to you soon. You too, man. Love you. And thanks as always, buddy. Hey, you made it to the end or I'm just talking to myself and Ryan. You stay classy. Peace out away. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.